So today we're wrapping up our series, Grounded, and if you're a guest, we're so glad that you've come. If you're listening online, we're so glad you tuned in. Uh, But if you've come for the first time, it's kind of like coming to the end of a movie. We're wrapping up our series called Grounded, and we'd encourage you to go back uh, and check out some of those messages if you're interested. But my hope is that this has been a series that would ground your faith so that no matter what you go through, no matter what difficulty you might face, that your faith is so grounded in who Jesus is that you can handle the test of time, that you would walk so closely with God and not choose to walk away. But what if you do? What if you do walk away from God? What happens? I mean, do you lose your salvation? Maybe, maybe you were never saved in the first place. You know, you know, could possibly, you know, could, could you possibly do enough, like sin enough in order to get out of God's good graces? Could you choose not to believe anymore? And if you did that, would that get you out of God's family? And the question that I want to talk about this morning is, can I lose my salvation? And again, maybe some of you, uh, you know, has a son or a daughter, maybe you might even consider them a prodigal child that, that is maybe now far away from the Lord, but you can remember as a parent this moment in time when they chose to pray and recognize that, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for their sins and they, they chose to receive him as their Savior. So they prayed this prayer and they were baptized and you're clinging to that moment years ago and you wonder, was that experience real? Like, did it take? Were they sincere? Did it really take root? Or maybe you're here this morning and, and uh, maybe you struggle with an addictive habit or maybe you have some kind of vice or you're, you're struggling with something and you ask God and you ask God and you ask God to take it away and you wish it would, and, but it doesn't seem like you can ever get past it and you wonder why God hasn't just kind of removed it from you and you find yourself going right back to it time and time and time again and then all of a sudden the question stirs up in your heart. Maybe, you know, maybe if I was a better Christian or a good Christian or even Maybe I'm not a Christian because if I was, I would be able to get past this. And then you go to a church and then somebody looks at you and they hear about your story or they know what you struggle with and they begin to ask the same question. Maybe you're not a Christian. I mean, would a Christian really do this? Would a Christian really act that way? Would a Christian really think those kind of things? And somewhere along the way, you wonder, did I lose my salvation? Or maybe was I ever saved in the first place, or maybe some of you grew up and there are like these 10 specific sins that if you did any of these 10 specific sins, like you were out. Like, you know, it, it, you, you're, you're, you're just, you're no longer saved. You, you don't get heaven. And, and, and again, there's, you know, there's a whole lots of sins, but you know, these 10 sins are way worse than those other sins, right? I mean, you know, it's one thing for murder and there's another thing for sexual sin, uh, but speeding, I mean, really? I mean, like that's gonna keep me out of heaven? 
right? And so, and so we have this idea and you struggle with, how do I trust a God who's keeping score? How do I trust a God that I'm never quite sure, am I in or am I out? And how do I know if I'm in or I'm out? Like, does that sin make me in or out? I mean, like, how, how do we know? And I'm never quite sure if I've behaved well enough for God to approve of me or to accept me. How in the world do I gain God's, how, how do I trust a God that I'm not even sure I'm, he accepts me in my imperfections? Because see, some of you grew up in a home like that where you're never quite sure you know, if you, if you didn't behave, if you didn't obey well enough and consistent enough, you weren't sure if you would have your father or your mother's approval or their acceptance or their love. And so what we naturally do is we impose or we transfer those same beliefs, those same emotions to our heavenly father. And we wonder, are we in or are we out? And so this morning, my hope before you leave here is that you will be clear on that your faith is grounded in what God says, not Bob's opinion, but on God's scriptures say so that you don't feel like every six months you got to pray so that you can be saved again. Like that you don't pray after every spring break when you come back, like, Lord, I need to be prayed to be saved again. Or like when you come back from the business trip, that you pray to be saved again. Like, like we're not talking about that. So, so again, the conversation that I found to be the biggest help as we talk about, am I saved and is it secure and can I lose my salvation? The greatest way that we can talk about this is to make sure that we have absolute clarity biblically on salvation. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn back again that we looked at last week, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to look at some other passages this morning in that chapter, but we're also going to look at a couple of things that we talked about last week. And so Ephesians chapter 2, let's go ahead and drop down to verse 4. This is Paul speaking. He says, but because of his, talking about God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So I want you to look right there at verse four, okay? I want you to look there. What was the motivation behind God pouring out his love for us? What's it say? I mean, excuse me, pouring out his mercy. What's the motivation of God pouring out his mercy for us? What is it? Yeah, his love, right? Whose love? Come on, you can say it. It's okay. It's an easy layup. Yeah, it's God's love, right? It's God's love. So when, when all of a sudden we realize God's motivation for pouring out his mercy on us is out of his love. He pursues you out of his love. He offers you salvation out of his love, not based upon your obedience, not based upon your faithfulness, not based upon your ability to do it correctly all the time. God offers you this whole gift of salvation begins in the heart and the character and the nature of God. Now, when you look back at verse four, it says it wasn't just any kind of mercy, was it? He says he is, what kind of, what's he say? He is rich in mercy. He's rich. Well, what does that mean? That means he's got a whole lot of it. 
It's, it's, we're not talking, and apologize if you have one of these, but he's not talking about like Ford Pinto mercy. Like that's not what he's talking about. He's talking like Lamborghini type of mercy. He's talking about like 600 foot yacht type huge vacation home kind of mercy. He's offering this. He says he is rich in mercy. He goes on, he says, it made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. In other words, that word means in our sins. In other words, we weren't even worth saving. That's what he's getting at. But it is by grace that you've been saved. And so what he's saying is that the reason you have been offered salvation, the reason you are saved is because of the reason is grace. That's why. We talked about this last week. Go, now, now, uh, go up a couple verses to verse eight. He reiterates it. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is where the confusion lies in. And if it didn't sink, if you weren't here last week, this will be new. But if you were here last week, this will kind of be a recap a little bit for you. You are saved because of God's grace. But you're saved through faith. The means by which you've been saved, the avenue, the street, the vehicle, if you will, that you've been saved through is faith. But the reason you're saved is grace. Listen to me. Faith is the means. As I said, it's the avenue. It's the street. It's the vehicle. But it's not the reason. And it's not what sustains your faith. This is super important. The reason you're saved is grace. And what sustains your salvation is grace, not your faith. Remember I asked you a question last week? I asked you a question, why are you here? I said I could come down and I could ask every single one of you personally. And I would go to every single one of you. And I could guarantee there would not be anybody, not a single person in this room, if I said, why are you here? Not one of you would give me this answer. And I said, the reason that you're here is never, and never you would say this, you wouldn't say, I'm here because of Tuckerton. That's not the reason that you're here. You would never say the reason I'm here is Fry Road. See, that's not the reason you're here. That's the means. That's the avenue. That's the street. You would never say, you wouldn't rattle off your, whatever your car or your truck is. You wouldn't say that because that's the means in which you got here. The reason that we're here, the reason that we, we have uh, salvation is not your faith. And so what sustains your faith is, for the, is the same thing as the reason for our faith. And the problem is we, we often twist those two. If you were to ask my wife, Sue, if you were to say, hey, why did you marry Bob? And again, probably many of you are going, yeah, like why? Like, like, like seriously. And hopefully, hopefully, if you were to go up to her after the service and say, hey, why did you marry Bob? She would say, because I love him, because I'd want to marry him. You know what she wouldn't say? She wouldn't say, if you asked her, hey, why did you marry Bob? She wouldn't say, because of a wedding, because we exchange vows. 
No, no, no. That was the means in which we got married, but it wasn't the reason that we got married. Married. The same way with it's not Tuckerton Road, the same re- way it's not, you know, Fry Road, it's not your vehicle. Do you see the difference? And this is where the confusion is. There's a tendency to switch those two and to think, we think the reason I'm a Christian is because I have faith. The reason I, we think that we're a Christian is because I believe. And as we looked at last week, it's by the reason is grace. And it's through faith. See, and if you think the reason that you're saved is your faith, then it's going to be up to your faith to sustain your salvation. And good luck on that one. See, the reason is God's grace. And that same grace that saved me is the very same grace that sustains me. See, the very one who saves you is the very one who sustains you. Do you want your faith, you want your salvation, do you really want your eternity to be based upon your ability to sustain it? I know I don't. And I've got strong faith. But the very one who saved you is the very one who sustained you. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to seal our salvation to the day of redemption. It's what scripture tells us. And so he goes on. Let's explore this a little bit more. Go to verse, uh, we'll continue to go through verse eight. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, in other words, this whole salvation process is not from yourselves. He says, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that none of us can boast. He's saying, hey, it's out of God's, mer- it's out of his rich mercy, it's out of his love, it's out of his incredible, amazing grace that he gives you this gift of salvation. Now, let me ask you, did you have anything to do with it? No, you didn't. Grace means undeserved favor, unearned favor. You didn't, that's why he says you can't boast because you didn't earn it. So why would you think if you did nothing to obtain it, why do you think it's left up to you to sustain it? If I had a hundred bucks, okay, and I, this is my money, and I offered it to you, I said, this, this is just something I wanna do, I wanna give you a gift, here's a hundred dollars, you can take it. When does it become yours? I've already said it's yours. When does it become yours? When you do what? Yeah, when you take it, right? This isn't hard. When, when you reach out your hand and you take the gift that is given. Now listen, when you, when you take it, it's now yours. It's no longer mine. It's now yours. I gifted it to you. It was mine to give. I chose to give it. You chose to reach out your hand, take it, receive it. Now it's yours. You can say, ah, you know what? I'm going to give it back. No, 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 no. It's yours. I'm not taking it back. You can say, well, you know, I I just don't know if I can, you know, you just choose to leave it on the stage and you walk out of here. Guess what? That's still yours. Now, this is so important. At the moment in time that you reached out your hand and took it, it became yours. This is so important. Don't miss this. It's not yours because you reached out your hand. It's yours because I chose to give it to you. 
the means in which you obtained it was the moment you reached out your hand and you took it. Does that make sense? And the same is true for salvation. When you realize the gift that God gave us is yours, he's offered it. He's offered it to all mankind. Scripture tells us he desires for all men to be saved. He's paid the price for every single one of us. He's offered it to you. But again, we have to understand it's not your faith that sustains your salvation, but it's God's grace that sustains our salvation. So here's a big question. What about the prodigal child? What about the child that, you know, they just walk away and they choose to live in sin? What if, what if they just say, you know, they're, they're going to quit believing? They don't have faith anymore. Well, that would, be, that would be like, you know, somebody from the Department of Transportation, you know, the DOT coming out here to Tuckerton Road, and, and they have some dynamite, and they decide they're going to blow up the, the street down there, and a piece of curb comes flying. Now, remember, you're, you're in this service. This is happening right now. Not really. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, somebody takes it out there, and a big, huge curb while you're in here comes flying over the building into the parking lot and goes right through the hood of your car. Now, here's a question. Again, this is not a difficult question. Are you still here? Okay, something just happened to your car. Are you still here? The answer is what? Yeah, absolutely. You, you still are. You're still here. The means in which you got here is absolutely crushed. The means in which you got here is absolutely destroyed but you are here because it was the means by which you got here, but it's not the reason. Is it making sense? Do you see the difference? See, Tuckerton Road or your vehicle doesn't sustain your presence here. It just got you here. And there might be a time in your life where you or your prodigal child recognize their need for a savior and chose to put their faith and trust that Jesus is the Son of God based upon his life and his resurrection, and that he recognized that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. And he says, I want that relationship. And God in that moment says, it's yours. So when you reach out through prayer, through faith and prayer, and you choose to receive it, God says, it's yours. And you can do with it whatever you want. And later you can come back and say, well, I, I, I don't want it. I don't believe. And God says, I made a promise. I don't break my promises. It's yours. Because your faith doesn't sustain your salvation. It's God's love, grace, and rich, 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 rich mercy that sustains your salvation. Let's, well, what about, what about our works? Like, what, what part do we, we've got to do something, right? Let's move on to verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So again, another layup question. Who, if, so it says, since we are the work, God's workmanship, who did the work? Come on, y'all. This is so easy. Who did the work? Yeah, God did the work. If you build a coffee table, does a coffee table say, look what I did? Of course not. Of course, it doesn't speak either. But either way, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, like, we are the workmanship of God. So the, what do we do as a result 
of God's workmanship. Listen to what God says in verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the once we, be, so the once we become followers of Jesus, once we become disciples of Jesus, once we are, are, are saved and now following Christ, he says, you've been created to do good works. You don't do good works to become a Christian. You don't do good works to maintain your Christianity. You do good works as a result of a relationship with Jesus. Remember we said last week, I am saved for good works, not by good works. Isn't that awesome news? Which means, listen, which means your good works, since I couldn't obtain salvation, there's no way your good works could sustain your salvation, only grace. And here's another question that I, that I hear that will often times get asked. So what happens like when I go into a major period of sin? What happens when, you know, I don't see evidence in somebody's life? Or what happens, you know, when I don't see any more fruit in, in somebody's life, you know, because they, they've taken upon themselves to be fruit inspectors. And so they start, you know, observing and, you know, well, you must not be. And again, is, is it okay to have the conversation, to, to really make sure that this person has, a, sure, that's, it's fine. However, where people jump to is that, well, they're definitely not saved, or they were never saved in the first place. Now, let me ask you a question. Because here's the, so if they're not showing evidence, then what does God do? So here's my question back to you, and I want you to be honest. What was the state that you were in when God saved you? Every single one of us is in the exact same state. Different life, different seasons, all that kind of stuff, but the exact same state before God. And here it is. Were you all cleaned up? Or you, did you have it all together? Like once you got your act together, once you started behaving properly, once you kind of you know, started doing better, all that kind of stuff, then God says, oh, okay, now I'll save you. We know that's not true, right? God came and saved you and I in the midst of our gross, disgusting, smelly, stinky sin. That's where he reached down and offered this gift to you. We'll go back to what Paul said in verse four. He says that when we were deep in our transgressions, when we were dead, that's what it says, when you were dead, you know what dead people smell like? It's not perfume. It smells. Guess what? When we are dead in our sin, Romans 5.8 says for that God saved us while, Christ saved us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in the midst of it, so God wasn't afraid to reach out and offer you the gift of salvation in the midst of your gross, smelly, stinky sin. And the same with me. We're all in the same state before the cross. So if he wasn't turned off then, why do you think he's going to be turned off now? He's going to continue to pursue you. He's going to continue to want fellowship with you. He wants you to be able to understand what does this look like. And if you fall off the wagon and all of a sudden you find yourself in all kinds of trouble, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation because you and your faith aren't sustaining it. It's God's grace that sustains it. And this very thing has totally transformed my life, my theology. 
And again, you, if you impose a theology to Scripture, it becomes very dangerous. You've got to let Scripture shape your theology. Remember, a number of years ago, this, this, this really solidified in my heart. Uh, you know, I've um, been super blessed. Have, Sue and I have four kids. We got to dedicate one of our granddaughters today. Willow had already been dedicated, and so that was such a privilege. And I got to be Papa. I didn't want to be Pastor, you know, earlier, so appreciate Derek doing that for me. And uh, but let's just take one of my sons. Let's, let's take Chase. He's 22, he's married, uh, super thankful for him. And so as my son, he could choose to say, Dad, I'm not even sure you're my dad anymore. I don't love you. In fact, I hate you. I can't stand to be around you. I don't, I don't ever want to have a conversation with you. In fact, I'm going to go down to the courts, and I'm going to change my last name. Like, I don't want to ever speak to you, talk to you, interact with you, or even engage. Like, I, as far as I'm concerned, you no longer exist. Now, let me ask you, would Chase still be my son? Absolutely. The relationship doesn't get broken there. The fellowship totally gets broken. He'll never stop being my son, but could he never talk to me again? Absolutely. Could he walk away and not even believe that I even exist on this planet anymore? Absolutely. But it doesn't change the relationship because that's been solidified. And the same thing with God, that when we come to the cross, he sees us through the lens of the cross, and in that moment, he redeems us, he reconciles us. Now we have this relation. Our sin has been paid for. He now calls us a son of God. That's why the beauty of being born again, we're being born now into a spiritual family, God's family, and he calls us his child, and we call him our father. And then all of a sudden, when we go through sin, we choose that, or we choose to walk away, God is still our father. We've just broken fellowship. And so when we go to the cross, we don't pray to be forgiven. At the cross, he already forgave us of our past, present, and future sins. We go to the cross to receive the forgiveness and to restore the fellowship back with the Father. It's so important that you understand this because if you don't have this lens, you're going to look at Scripture and get really messed up. Because you're going to wonder, are you in or are you out? God's going, why are you even thinking about that? You're my child. I love you. I paid the ultimate price for you. Yeah, are there consequences to your sin? You better believe it. Are there a loss of rewards for your sin? Absolutely. But it's not being kicked out of heaven. You've broken fellowship. And when I break fellowship, God woos me, draws me, desires for me. And, I, and again, we know from Scripture that we can, we, you know, so when somebody says, well, how in the world do you, you know, somebody not show fruit anymore? It's because what Scripture tells us, they squelch the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that's providing conviction for you, drawing you, leading you, directing you, convicting you. And I know for some of you, I know for some of you, this is incredibly uncomfortable because here's your fear. Here's your fear of what I'm doing right now. Your fear is that I'm giving everybody license to just go out and sin. You're saying, okay, Bob, so here, here's the deal. So you're telling me, is this what you're telling me? You're telling me that once I get the meal ticket, 
Like once I get the fire insurance, once I get the get out of hell free card, like I, like I pray the prayer, like I, I choose to accept Christ as my savior. You're telling me that once I've, I've you know, accepted Christ that I can go out and do anything I want and I'll still go to heaven. Is that really what you're saying? And I would tell you that's exactly what I'm saying. And if that bothers you, you know why? It's because you get it. <laughs> if it makes you squirm, it's because you get it. If you're saying, yeah, I would never, and I'd go, huh, exactly. Exactly. We would never, we wouldn't ever do that. That's why God's grace is so incredibly amazing and undeserved. See, you know what motivates me to live for Jesus? It's not the fear of consequences. Maybe that is for you. It's not for me. The, the motivation for me is not the fear of consequences. I fear, meaning respect and awe of God, without a doubt. But what motivates me is the love and the grace of God and what he's given to me so my life is lived out of gratitude not fear of consequences. And when you become a Christian, listen to me, some people in first, you know, first hour, I think online, got this really messed up. And I want to be, try to be crystal, crystal clear. When you become a Christian, you don't focus on correcting your sin. It's not that we never talk about sin. We do. You don't focus on correcting your sin. You focus on pursuing an intimate, close relationship with the Father. You know why? Because when I pursue an intimate, close relationship with the Father, the things that the Father hates, I begin to hate. And the things that the Father loves, I begin to love. And when I focus on God instead of trying to self-correct my sin, then I begin to do the will of the Father. And what drives, I'm just going to be honest, what drives me crazy about Christians is you want to focus so much on calling other people's sin out that drive them farther away from the grace of God. And I think God would just bring you right back to the principle of the log in your own eye. And he says, listen, how about you focus on intimacy with me and let me and my spirit deal with their sin? Our job, what's he say? They'll know that you're my disciples by your what? By your judgment? No, by your love for one another. Let God deal with the sin in their life. It's his part. Remember a young man who had a grandfather that uh, was 60 years old, is 60 plus years old and very wealthy man and, and had, had uh, done a lot of things in his life, a lot of things that... Uh, he wasn't proud of. But anyway, he came to Christ at a very late age, had numerous marriages, and uh, just had squandered a ton. And finally comes to Jesus, and now is going to church, got one of those big like family Bibles, you know, like in the beginning. You know, it's a, the big letters, and you know, you know, but he was just passionate, just trying to eat all this stuff up. And, and, uh, and so again, uh, his, his grandson says, he says, granddad, he said, uh, he said, are you saved? He goes, oh, Absolutely. He goes, I love Jesus so much. He goes, Granddad, are, are you sure you're going to heaven? He goes, ah, I wouldn't be so sure of that. <laughs> and see, in that response, 
his grandfather always struggled with having assurance of his salvation because it was based his, in his thinking. He loved Jesus. He knew Jesus saved him. He just wasn't sure, based upon everything he had done in the past, if he'd be welcomed. And his grandson said, you know, the day that he died, he said, I would have loved to have seen the smile on his face when he opened his eyes and saw his heavenly father because he realized he was saved by grace through a momentary act of faith. A number of years ago, and I'll close after this, a number of years ago, um, a friend of mine got a phone call that we as pastors uh, absolutely hate to get. It was a mom of a teenage son who was... uh, just after his senior year. He had died in a car accident, and so she called, and she was at another church, and she called him and said, would you please do the funeral of my son? What had happened is that these two teenage boys were driving uh, pretty fast in their subdivision. He lost control of the car, ran into a telephone pole. The young boy that was driving limped away and tried to get help while her son, who was left in the car, died. And, and so when this lady calls this, this friend of mine and asks, would you please do the funeral? He was kind of taken back because he used to be the youth pastor at that church. And this young man was 14 the last time he had a conversation with him. And the last time he had a conversation with him, he was at youth camp. And this was a kid that pretty much couldn't stand authority, didn't really, did not, made it very clear he didn't want to even be at youth camp. His parents just wanted him at youth camp. And so he was just, you know, miserable and frustrated and, and told his youth pastor at 14 years of, of age, he said, listen, man, I just want you to know, I consider myself now an atheist. I don't believe in this stuff. And he kind of went on through the explanation. This was the last conversation that this guy had with that kid. And now, a number of years later, he's dead. So as he's talking to the mom, he says, you know, yes, I'll be, I'll be more than willing to do the funeral. And so he went to the funeral and he saw, and if you've ever been to a funeral of a, of a student, it's, usually, it's just usually packed. And there's just tons and tons and tons of students. And so he shows up, and as he looks around, there's a lot of kids that looked a lot like him, and, and he, he just made the assumption that I'm sure there's a lot of kids here that don't want to be in a church and probably don't believe and all that kind of stuff. And so they begin the service, and as he was thinking about the service beforehand, he knew something about this young man that none of his friends probably knew. And so the service starts, and one of the friends gets up because the mom had let her, his friends you know, plan the service, and so he, he read a horoscope of the day that he passed away, and so he read that. And then there was music and some stories that were shared. And, and then a friend gets up and begins the, the memorial service, and he stands in front of this large crowd, and he says, you know, he shares the kid's name. He says, you know, he wasn't very much into authority, and so the kids all start laughing, right? <laughs> 
He said, and I just happened to be kind of that authority figure that he didn't care for so much, and the kids laughed even more. He said, but the last conversation that I had with him, he shared with me that he was an atheist. And, and he shared with me the reasons why he didn't believe anymore. And you can just hear the, the whole room getting quiet. He said, but on the day that he was killed, there were probably two surprises. One, he says, one of the surprises was his death. We were all surprised. We were all shocked. And he says, and the second surprise was that when he opened his eyes on the other side, he was face to face with his loving heavenly father because God doesn't change his mind or change his promise. Because see, when he was 10 years old, he was at a kid's camp and he met with one of the children's pastors and he gave his life to Jesus. He knew that he wanted a relationship. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that he trusted and believed that Jesus was the son of God and that he died on the cross for his sins. And that day with that pastor, he prayed to put his faith and trust in Christ. And he says, in that time when he opened his eyes, God welcomed him home because he had received the free gift of grace through a momentary act of faith at 10 years of age because he died for his sins and he accepted that gift. And that pastor friend of mine, he had the opportunity to, in front of all those, and you could hear a pin drop. And he shared that, that this gift that was offered to every single one of them. You know why? Not because of the lifestyle or the good works of that teenager, but because of the goodness and faithfulness and rich mercy and love and grace of God. Now, come on. Does that make you want to go out and sin a whole bunch? Not at all. Not at all. See, when my faith is so grounded in who Jesus says that he is and that he will do all that he's promised he will do, I can go through all kinds of circumstances. I can go through all kinds of tragedies. I can go through all kinds of difficulties. And when I'm reminded of God's love and his rich mercy and his amazing grace, it makes me not want to go out and sin a whole bunch. It makes me want to live my life as a thank you letter out of gratitude and thankfulness back to him. Why? Because in that moment, I believe that God is worthy to be trusted. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us insight on a very difficult topic. Lord, that my faith wouldn't be so rattled that when I go through hardship or difficulty, when I'm tempted to walk away or run away or to stiff arm you or whatever, to know that it doesn't change you, that you still pursue, that you still love, that you first loved us, anything by us is a response back to your love that you've already offered. 
And just as it would grieve me if any one of my kids did that or said that to me, to Lord, to know that it grieves your heart, that you long for us to be in, in fellowship with you, that we would come back. And so, Lord, I pray for the comfort of those parents who are struggling with kids who have walked away or for spouses who have walked away. And if you're sitting here, you're listening online, my hope and my prayer is if you're not confident, if you don't have the assurance that when you take your last breath that you're going to stand before God right here in your seat or right there in your living room, I just want you to say to the Lord, today, today, I want to have confidence. And it's not because I'm going to have great faith. It's I'm going to accept the free gift of grace that you've given, you've paid for, you've made it available. And I'm going to reach out right now through prayer and I'm going to say, God, today, I know that my sin separated me from you. And today, I believe, I put, my, I put my faith, my trust, the weight of my eternity in the fact that, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You've proved that through your life and through your resurrection. And I believe, I have faith, I put trust in that you died on the cross as a payment for my sins. Come into my life. Save me. And Lord, would you give me the strength and the courage not to waver? And when I do, and when I struggle, and when I sin, I come back to experience the forgiveness that you've already offered to restore fellowship back with you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You're so good. So good. And your grace is so rich. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.